You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Sitting down here at the 9-foot homemade oak bar in my basement. Pour yourself a cold one. Pull up a stool. That's Ed. I'm Chris. This is Socks in the Basement brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Give them a call. Phone number's right there on the logo for Socks in the Basement. You heard a commercial at the beginning of the show. FAMWS.com. Tell them we sent you. They take money off. All right. So, the big news. We pressured Lori Lightfoot on Saturday's show. And on Monday fans in the stands. I'm taking full and total credit, Ed. You can't tell me that it wasn't us. No, nope, it was us. It was completely us. <laughs> I, uh, you, you, In fact, you took credit on social media and I just pointed out that you get 71% of the credit and I get the other 39%, so we're good. That's right? 29%. <laughs> that's, you don't even know how to do math. 71. We gave 110% of pressure <laughs> to Lori Lightfoot, my friend. Don't fool yourself into anything less. I'm going to tell you something. You know, I know a lot of people said, oh, I got this inside word. Even Cap. Cap's been on the show, David Kaplan, and he, yes. he's he been telling everybody that he's got an inside person that's telling him it's going to happen. But every single thing she had said up to that point was at some point in the season. And, yeah, you and, know, and not, not committing to day one, right. which, is, which is what everybody needs her to do, and she did. And you so. know what? We're not the only people that put pressure on. I think it was good, no, but it was no, something that was all. bubbling and the decision had to be made. Who knows? She probably had made the decision a week earlier, but she needed to find time to to do a weird video with like the mascots and prepare herself to do something quirky because she thinks that that, I don't know, endears herself to people. She should have just come right out and said there's going to be fans. I'm excited they're going to be back in the stands. I mean, you know, if, if we're going to give her some slack there, then I think the question became the Sox and the Cubs were looking for 30%. Uh, it's not 30%. She came in lower. Maybe they were just talking numbers. Right. And and, and that would be the more practical. But I'm going to go along with uh, she was waiting so that, you know, Southpaw got his COVID test so she could stand next to him and do something <laughs> in a video. It's so ridiculous. So anyway, it's going to be 20%. Uh, I've already been going through the details. Uh, We've reached out to the White Sox and asked them if they want to have anybody come by uh, onto the show and kind of break down how things are going to go. I went right to the top, sent Brooks Boy or something. I won't hear a thing. That's okay. But you can already kind of decipher how this is going to go. Dad's a season ticket holder. He and I are in together on season tickets. He got the email. He talked to me this morning. It basically is telling season ticket holders the plan is coming. You'll find out how you're going to get the tickets. The athletic reporting that it'll be a like almost like the money that they already have with the White Sox because they bought season tickets will be used for them to select games that are available to them. It seems like it's right. going to be something along the lines of depending on how long you've been a season ticket holder, you're getting first choice. Depending on what your package is, you're getting games based upon how many seats did you already say that you wanted. Like if, if you had two, you're not gonna be able to buy six. You're gonna you're gonna buy two. All right. You're not going to be right. able to increase it. You can. And then also, uh, depending on if you had a partial season thing, you you're not going to get as much of a choice as the people that were full season because they wanted every game and they put the money up front. But it, there'll be some sort of marketplace, it looks like, where the season ticket holders will be able to pounce on the tickets. And even though they say the thing like, hey, fans, you know, we'll, we'll try to release the rest of them to you. I would think they have at least eight to 9,000 season ticket holder seats that are sold every year before we even get to general admission. 
Yeah, and and especially in a year like this one where we were anticipating them being really good, I think a lot of people jumped on back on the season ticket bandwagon, uh, and were going to invest in coming to the park for 2021 because they knew that we were going to be watching a really really good team. So for people who are not season ticket holders, they're still going to be the usual aftermarket because there are going to be some season ticket holders that sell you know and just try and pull some money off of this thing it weren't really too i i think the good thing to be optimistic about here is is that what we're talking about is we're talking about the status quo for april 1st right so if you're worried about say the second half of the season when things are going to get really really interesting it's going to be a slightly different world than it is starting april 1st so it could be you know, 16,000 people in the stands, and then there's going to be more opportunity. It could be more people than that. I just, I would be surprised if we are looking at a situation where there's going to be standing room only tickets being sold at some point. But what you would hope for is, is that if things go well, come September, October, and into the playoffs, that that's what we're talking about. And we're talking about the ability to potentially go in and get playoff tickets. Yeah. And you know what? The other thing is, is that uh, we're going to be out there opening weekend. Don't forget, Cork and Carry at the Park, April the 10th. Yes, we are. All right, be there pregame. All right, we're going to kick this thing off about 11 o'clock in the morning. The game's at 110, and we're going to be out there pregame. And if you can't get into the stadium on opening weekend, join us for the watch party over at uh, Cork and Carry at the Park at 33rd and Princeton. So, And there's no tickets for that. Just, just get there. Just show up. Just yeah. be a part of it. Everybody gets a Socks in the Basement trucker hat. Uh, we've got some great guests that we're lining up that we're going to be part of the original Socks in the Basement Fest. We're going to get all the details out to you once everything is locked down, but it should be an absolute blast. We're going to be partying with you on opening weekend, and we're going to have a great time. And, and I am really yeah. looking forward to getting into the ballpark, and I'm super pumped that fans are going to be part of the experience opening up on day one. We're going to ask Scott Greger about that. How much does it really mean that fans are there in the eyes of the ball players? Is this lip service? Is this, hey, our fans are the best in the world, or is it real? That's next, and then we're back to talk about the White Sox and the last couple of days of spring training and what we've seen everywhere. Podcasts can be found and always at SoxInTheBasement.com. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota, and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Joining us right now on Socks in the Basement, he's been on before. He's a good dude. He covers the White Sox for the Daily Herald. His name is Scott Greger. Scott, how are you? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you doing? I assumed, I think we all assumed just because of the way in seasons past, that you're down at spring training and you're covering the team there, but you're able to do it mobily because there's no access to the players, right? I mean, basically, whether or not somebody's down there or if they're at home, you're all on a Zoom call anyway, right? Yes. You know, that's the unfortunate uh 
you know, ongoing problem with the uh, COVID, even though it's starting, you know, there's like at least a light at the end of the tunnel now, but you know, it, ever since really they picked up, uh, you know, baseball last season in early July and then played the short season, it's been zoom and there are, you know, no winter meetings this year and uh, spring trainings. Yeah. You know, this is the first time I haven't been really getting some withdrawal. The first time since 1994, I haven't been at spring training and, um, just try to make the best of the Zoom and, and hope that changes real soon. Well, I would think that you're encouraged by the fact that fans are now going to be in the stands starting on opening day. That feels like a step that eventually will turn into more and more people as the vaccines roll out. And then eventually maybe, you know, we'll have reporters in the locker room. Have you have you even started to to think of that concept again? And were you excited when you heard that there were fans going to be there on opening day? Uh, Chris, very excited. You know, first of all, with the fans, you know, the media will like, well, is secondary in my opinion. I mean, I just think, you know, just sitting at some games last year, you know, during that short season, no fans, the piped in noise. Um, it's just what, you know, at, at the players, I, I give them really, you know, the players on every team, every sport, I give them credit just for, I mean, it's, they, it's just amazing. You know, you, you kind of take for granted the crowds, but, you know, since the pandemic started, you know, basically a year ago, I mean, it, it, the lack of fans has come up over and over again. And um, just how much the players, you know, White Sox players, you know, just how much they're missed, you know, at guaranteed break field. And, you know, um, they they have there, there have been some fans, you know, in the Cactus League this year, you know, limited crowds like you're going to see at the beginning of this season. And even though, you know, you can hear these, you know, even though they're, they're smaller crowds, I mean, the, the, the noise is there. I think it's a little bit noisier than I expected. And so, yeah, the, to get 20% back at the start of the season, you know, for the White Sox and, uh, you know, keep that going as, as the year, you know, hopefully it looks like it, it's looking pretty good. Like you said, you know, the uh, vaccination rates are going up, the infection rates going down. And, you know, hopefully, who knows, you know, by the all-star break, you have 50% capacity and it just keeps going up. And then, one day, hopefully soon this season, yeah, you get back in the clubhouse because it's just, it's kind of awkward. The Zoom, I think everybody's tired of doing them and, um, you know, hopefully that changes. So I'm interested in your perspective then, because we're talking about the players and and missing the fans. You know, the cynic in me always feels like sometimes those things are said because, well, you know, it's a PR thing. Like, oh, we miss our fans. Our fans are the best fans in the world. No fans like our fans. The fans really drove me. When you talk to these guys on the Zoom and they bring this up, is your feeling that it's like, yeah, yeah, and we miss the fans? Or is there a real thing that's missing for them? Like, it it, it may even affect gameplay for them because it doesn't feel normal. Yeah, that, that's a great question, Chris. You know, here, here's an interesting thing that's come up, you know, and with some players on, on these Zooms, some, some Sox players. Is this that, you know, when you have a crowd, they, they play off like the cues from the crowd, like, like Say somebody hits a ball to right field, he's got his head down, you know, he's running to first base, and then that ball, like, would get by the right fielder rolling to the corner. Well, you hear it from the crowd, and so it's like the guy will, you know, pick his head up real quick, take a look, and he's on second base, you know, maybe third base, just from the, the crowd reaction. So, um, you know, I, I think, like, the White Sox, like every other team, they just love to hear the cheer. They they, they miss the cheers. They miss the applause. I mean, that's that's what you, you work so hard to get to the major league for you know, major leagues for it, play in front of those big crowds, loud crowds. And, um, you know, it's a hundred percent genuine that, you know, be, before the pandemic, if, if crowds were sometimes maybe taking it, you know, just taken for granted, I mean, that's not the case. And 
um, you know, the, the appreciation level is really off the charts. So the White Sox not doing so well record-wise in the Cactus League. Uh, there's a few joke accounts now on Twitter just making fun of it, which I find hysterical. But the thing that's, that is also funny is that some people really are upset about their record this early in spring training. Uh, is there any concern? Can you set some minds at ease? Uh, I, I get the feeling Tony LaRusso wants to start seeing him win some of these games, but at, at this point, it doesn't seem like they're really trotting out their best guys, and the Sox aren't really known for their depth. They're very good up top, but an injury is going to make a lot of difference in where this team is going, especially at certain positions this year. There isn't any kind of worry right now around the team that you see, is there? Are you talking about the uh, fire Tony LaRusso tweets that you, you're saying? Since the- <laughs> I love them. Are you, are you trying to say White Sox fans are overreacting to something? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah, no, you know what? It's, um, it's, yeah, I've been covering spring training for so long that right now you were roughly at the halfway point. So, I mean, you know, they haven't even, they haven't even made their first round of roster cuts yet. Those should be coming pretty soon. And they're going to be guys, you know, like Mike Wright. Guys, you you know, expect that are just kind of non-roster guys, you know, distilling out some innings, you know, picking up some innings or or whatever. But you know what? It's like I think if you look, maybe like the last week, there's no panic at all. Like you said, like like Dallas Keuchel hasn't pitched in a game yet. Um, who else hasn't? There there, there are quite a few guys. Uh, Yasmani Grandal, he's had a little knee injury. He hasn't. Uh, you know, playing the game yet. Liam Hendricks is just pitching like, you know, B games, which a lot of guys prefer to do. Um, I think in the last week or so, you kind of see like that regular lineup start ramping up. And, it, it be, you know, it's like last year, This unfortunately, it wasn't the case, but, I, you know, with the 60 games, but it's such a long season when you have a lot of veteran guys, um, especially, you know, the, the younger guys, you want to get, get some innings, but uh, they don't really pay too much attention to the first part of camp. And I think they, they kind of zero in that last ten days week of spring training, cactus league, and then they get they get going from there. So let me ask you your take because you're covering the team on a daily basis. Uh, Ed and I believe while we sit down here at the nine foot homemade oak bar in my basement and, and talk about this team, that Andrew Vaughn is definitely going to be a big part of this team and up here for the majority of this season. But if he doesn't sign an extension, you won't see him for the first two weeks. That as much as the White Sox are going to tell you he's the DH. There's no way they don't manipulate service time for two weeks. Uh, do you think we're crazy? Do you think he breaks camp with the team just based upon what you're looking at right now? Well, yeah, you know, I do. I think that, I mean, they love him. It, you know, it's it's kind of going back to that Eloy situation again, even though Eloy, like the following year, wound up signing the extension. Um, but, you know, they sent Eloy down, you know, yeah, kind of for the service time thing. Um, the, the White Sox really, I mean, this isn't like a Seattle Mariners thing. I think the White Sox right now. I mean, they're they're built to win. They they believe in Vaughn, and they they're, they're talking him up. He's performing well, and you know, like they could send him down and say, "Oh, we just want to." You know, there's not even really, and, and this year there's not even like the AAA season's been pushed back. So, you know, you're sending them to a, like the alternate training site, which they're not really sure where that's going to be at yet. So, I would be, you know, I'd be kind of surprised if if uh, he wasn't on the opening day roster. And that doesn't necessarily mean he'd have to have a contract extension. I mean, they'll probably get around to doing that with him anyways if they if he's as good as uh, they think, you know, the White Sox think he's going to be. So, you, you know, you, there's no reason why they couldn't sign him to a contract extension during the season or, you know, 
next off season. All right, before I let you go, I'm going to ask you to give me just your your pick here. Uh, we have analyzed this roster and tried to look at who's the last position player on the team, and we do not think Zach Collins is the backup. We think it's going to be Lucroy. We think there's a reason he's in there. So between Collins and Mendick and Tim Beckham and possibly a Gavin Sheets, if you had to look at those guys or maybe another one you pull out of thin air, which one do you think is the last guy onto this roster, at least looking at things so far? And I know it could change in the next week or so, but I mean, I mean, is there a buzz around one of them that you're like, yeah, that guy's probably going to make it if there's room for him? You know, I'll go with uh, Zach Collins just for, for one reason. I mean, like the catching, you know, I can see him, that, like Larusa has said, that he doesn't really think that they're going to keep three catchers. But what they could do if they would keep LaCroix and Collins is, if there's like a tough right-hander, you can, you know, you know, just just take a look at Zach Collins. Give him a chance. He really hasn't had much of one. I mean, he was the number 10 overall draft pick a couple of years ago. I still like that bat he's got. And, um, you know, I don't know if he's ever going to be a great defensive catcher, but I'd let that bat, they take a look at that bat and see what you have there finally. I mean, he really hasn't had, you know, last year was tough for Zach. And, um, but, you know, may, maybe, you know, I know they don't want to keep three catchers, but, him maybe let him catch once a week, and because Grandel's just got some injury problems. Lacroix is an older guy, and then you can take a look at Zach Collins at catcher and at DH with that left-handed bat. That's Scott Gregor, Daily Herald. We're we're honored to have him as always. I appreciate your insight, Scott. We will check in again with you very soon. Great, thanks, Chris. Great talking to you. Hey, gang. Ever wonder what it's like to be a small business owner? It's confusing. Weird expenses coming out of nowhere, and when you throw in health insurance. Forget it, nobody understands how that works. If you own a business, big or small, it's one of the biggest expenses you have all year long. And yet, we all wait until open enrollment at the end of the year, and then we think to ourselves, next year, next year I'll get a jump on it. And then it's another year of paying way too much. If you're a business owner, big or small, HR representative that wants to impress the boss, give Butch Zemar of Elite Benefits of America a call. Save yourself or your boss thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars a year reach out to butch right now 708-535-3006 or shoot him an email butch at elitebenefits.net and be sure to check out the zmar podcast don't wait till the last minute put butch zmar to work for you now i love looking at lists and stories and breakdowns of ball players around Major League Baseball when it comes to fantasy baseball because fantasy baseball really is a very intricate look at the statistics that players put up. It's not like fantasy football when we're just looking at yardage and touchdowns. There's so much that goes into the stats when they're trying to figure out who's good and who's bad at fantasy baseball. Low whips mean better pitchers. It's not even wins and losses as much as do you put a lot of guys on base? High slugging, on-base percentage, OPS, those things matter a lot. How much does a guy strike out? All those things matter. It's really the value of the player, and it's very measurable when you play fantasy baseball. So these guys looking at it from that big view nationally, not even looking at the name on the back of the jersey or the front of the jersey, just looking at the stats, a new list came out on CBS Sports of the top 150 dynasty fantasy baseball players. And the reason why I find this list interesting is because they're measuring how good the guy is now, what his potential future is, and how confident they are in that player. So when looking at those three factors 
and trying to figure out, hey, if you're building a team right now, not only to win now, but win in the future, these 150 guys are the best players in baseball that you would want on a team. And I'm pretty sure that list would be pretty close if you were just doing a complete redraft of all of Major League Baseball. The White Sox ended up with 11 players on this list out of 150. 11. 11 players. And I wanted to go through them here with everybody and and talk about these guys because it shows you not only how good they are now, but their potential to become even better over the next couple of years. I'm going to ask you first, who do you think is the most valuable White Sox player on the roster? We'll get to that player last. But if I had to ask you, who is the highest ranked guy on this list? Who would you think it is? Pitcher. Pitchers tend to be more valuable in in fantasy. Okay. uh... Um, and I, and I think it's gotta be the ace, right? It's gotta be Lucas Giolito. All right, let's see where we get to him. So we're going to move our way up from the back of this thing and just kind of talk about some of these guys. Cause I found this to be fascinating as I look through the list. So the lowest guy on the list at 137 out of top 150 was Liam Hendricks. So his current value was really high, but in terms of, is he going to get any better? No, probably not. Yeah. That's, this is his ceiling. And are we confident in him? Not really confident because he's a closer Lance Lynn. Comes in at 129, and he is the second out of the 11 guys here on this list. He's 34 years old, gets high scores for what he is now, but very, very low scores in terms of his future, and he's about middle of the road in terms of their confidence that he's going to be what you expect him to be. But that's a really nice one that's up on the list. I'm going to skip ahead here as we move up the list uh, and go to number 122 on the list, Nick Mandrigal. And Mandrigal is about middle of the road in terms of what he is now, but his potential number is higher. At 24 years old, they expect him to only get better. That's Mr. 3000 you're talking about right there. Uh, Yeah, I know. He says he's going to hit 3000 hits and they've made t-shirts. He makes a flippant comment in an interview talking about how, well, you know, uh, I don't think getting 3000 hits in my career is uh, that unattainable. And they're like, whoa, 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 little man. You, you just basically hits in. You called yourself Slow a up. Hall of Famer already. They took the Bernie Mac shirt from the movie Mr. 3000. They put his face on it, and the team is walking around with those shirts. That's amazing. The bravado of a Nick Mandrigal. Yeah, they were actually worried that he would take the, the shirt thing the wrong way. Um, but it sounds like, you know, he took it in stride, and he should because he's the one who said it. He's the one who said 3,000 hits is pretty attainable for me. So more valuable than Lance Lynn, according to uh, this list, which looks at guys now and their future, is one Michael Kopech at 114 on the list. And he is based on the future. I assume that whole score is on the future. He's like right up at the topped out rankings. They still believe that he's going to be very, very good. Uh, When you look at camp, you actually have to remind yourself that he's only 25 years old. And if if the worst is behind him. And he's able now to come out and be healthy and be a part of this team. Uh, we have a stud pitcher that's going to be the middle to the top of your rotation for a long time, even though he's not being called on to do that this year. And that's where his his ranking comes in. So I think you got to be pretty excited about the fact that the national folks still look at a Michael Kopech and go, going to be good. Going to be really, really Future good. Future race. And for right now, what, what did he and Garrett Crochet decide? They're going to be jacked and they're going to be ready. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what that means, but I think somebody could die if they get beamed by, <laughs> by one of those two guys. You put a hole in someone. <laughs> Yo, Amagata comes in at 105, and he's 26 years old. Don't forget that. 
and they only have middle of the road in terms of what he is now. They still think there are better days ahead for Yohan Moncada. Even after the fall off last year, they're, they're, they're looking at this and saying it's because of COVID. They've had a chance to look at the beginning of spring training, and I'll tell you, he looks really good. Oh, yeah, he's got his energy back. He's got his strength back. Uh, he, amongst all the other regulars, is still not hitting very well, but I think that'll turn around too. I, I, I think they're... They'll get there offensively, and I'm not worried about Moncada for one second. Did you see the play he made when they were in a shift? I can't remember how many games ago it was. They all blur together because they're spring, and I'm trying to find them on the internet most of the time. But they had a shift, and he's playing in in the shortstop position instead of third base, and the ball's like a high fly down the third base line, and he catches it going over the tarp. And and it's just like, like he went full out and got that ball in the spring training game and made it look easy. I'll be honest with you. Even falling over the tarp, the roll of tarp, which scares me. Every time these guys bump into each other or bump into something, I'm frightened. But he here's a guy who feels confident, and that right there makes me feel good about him. He is a fantastic defensive third baseman. And then you get to where his bat was in 2019, and he should be able to build off of that. Forget last year. He should be able to build off of 2019. And you might be looking at one of the, if not the best third baseman in the league in the very near future. I don't know about right now because he's dealing with Anthony Rendon and Josh Donaldson and guys like that. So there's a lot of guys in that conversation. But, uh, you know, a few years from now when those guys are on the decline, uh, that's why they're looking at him highly in the future as opposed to maybe just middle of the road right now. When I look at him, I honestly believe that here's a guy that when it's all said and done will be a better third baseman than anybody that I've seen in my life. And I, I watched Robin Ventura and thought he was an amazing defensive third baseman and he could hit too. And Joe Creedy's the man. Let's just never forget that Joe Creedy could have very easily been the MVP of the World Series. But if if Moncada can stay healthy and put together a bunch of years and realize his potential, could be the best third baseman that I've had over there in my lifetime. Without a doubt. Jose Abreu comes in at number 86. His age is what hurts him because they're very confident that he's going to continue to do what he did last year, and they have very high marks for what he is now. Is he going to be the MVP? Probably not, but they still see him as a very, very valuable player for now and over the next couple of years for this team, and I don't think there's very much else you can say about him as I scroll up the list. So now we're getting uh, closer to the top here in this top 150 Dynasty fantasy baseball players, which the White Sox have 11 on the list, and I have to scroll for a while and I, I looked at this ahead of time, and I knew there was going to be this point where I'd have to kind of stump until I got to number 46. Yeah, you're just sort of filling time right now, yeah. so, you know. When I got go to number 46, he hasn't played a Major League Baseball game yet, and Andrew Vaughn, at 23 years old, is, is the, the 46th 50. most valuable player if you were building a team right now in the majors. I mean, the hype is real, and it's not only real with the White Sox, it's real nationally. Yeah, everybody, I think, is is coming around to the idea that once you get over the stigma of a lack of games in the minor leagues and once you get over the stigma of the service time issue and how teams treat their rookies, that Andrew Vaughn is really, really good at what he does, and he is going to be a very, very good hitter. I'm, I'm interested to see if he could beat the mark that I kind of set for him, which was Gordon Beckham's rookie year when we all thought Gordon Beckham was really, really good. <laughs> well, that, that's his floor, right? Didn't we decide that that's was his, his floor? floor? Gordon Beckham's best year was his floor. We're like, we can accept that. And, and, and we, because we were trying to figure out, like, is this team okay trusting this kid? 
and we figured that was his floor. That doesn't mean he's going to be that. He could actually be better than that. They seem to think that in this ranking. Yeah, well, and that's that's what I'm saying is is that you're talking about a rookie of the year runner up in Gordon Beckham that we were as Sox fans very high on. And if that's if if Gordon Beckham's rookie year is Andrew Vaughn's floor and what he does this year, one, they're going to be fine at the DH position for this year. And two, again, the idea that a 23 year old is going to build off of that thing, same thing with Moncada building off of his 2019, Vaughn going up from that floor makes him a, a Jose Abreu type hitter. Would you like to have Jose Abreu for another, say, 15, 16 years, that level of production? Yes. Yes, I would. Yeah. A guy that doesn't make a, a lot of sense at the number he's at, even though he's at number 44, and I'll tell you why, is T.A. Tim Anderson comes in at 44, and I think he gets robbed because they give him high marks, not only for what he is now, but what he's going to be here in the future but they rank in middle of the road in terms of their confidence in whether or not he's a guy you can build around who's going to continue to do what he's doing. What else does this guy have to prove? His defensive metrics have improved over the last several years. Uh, exponentially, you just see a difference in it. And his hitting has improved to the point where he wins the banning crown in 2019. And I'm telling you right now, would have won it in 2020 if he would have had it a full season. I think the shortened season took away a back-to-back batting title from him. I mean, he he's the truth, and I don't know what else needs to be proven. He's the guy playing at 100% speed right now in every spring training game who's jumping higher than I've ever seen somebody jump in the infield on, on a ball that it doesn't matter in a game that's a blowout against the Dodgers. Okay, I, I the lack of respect sometimes is starting to bother me with him. I'm okay with him being disrespected because he seems to take that and want to shove it straight up whatever orifice he can get to. Okay, at number 35, the man, the myth, the legend, Luis Robert comes in, and they don't expect him to have a bust-out year this year. The majority of that score comes from what he's going to be in future years, and it's so high, he comes in as the 35th best player to build a team around on this Dynasty Fantasy list. He sits in between Vlad Guerrero and Trevor Bauer in terms of what his star power is. That's where he sits. That's where we are on this list when we get to a Luis Robert. Number 29 and the second highest White Sox player rated on this list, Aloy Jimenez in left field. And I'm going to tell you the only reason Aloy is not higher because they think he's great now and they think he's still going to get better. It's a confidence thing. And a lot of the White Sox players were hurt on their rating for how confident they are that what they've shown so far is what they really are. And I think this goes back to things we've talked about on the show. We've had Jason Martinez from Fangrass and Roster Resource on. We've had Jordan Lazowski who comes on and breaks down numbers for us. We've had a lot of numbers, guys. And what they've said is the problem with the White Sox is the track record isn't long enough. So when people try to break down what they are, it's very difficult because we have such a young team. But if this team realizes the potential that it has, these guys will all be so much further up these these lists next year. Well, and that's that's just it. And, and, you know, when you're talking about the confidence level, I know what I've seen on the White Sox projections, and I think this is where some of that Pakoda stuff comes into play that I've been spending the last couple of weeks, you know, ripping apart, is it looks like from a number standpoint that somebody like Eloy Jimenez is out over his skis when he's hitting as well as he's hitting the past two years. But the reality is, is that, that's just who he is. And if they're looking at walk rates and swinging strike rates and, 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 and things like that that are these sort of advanced metrics, you can nitpick that stuff. But there's also the eyeball test, which is he's really good at what he does. He hits the ball really, really hard. And the more pressure is on, the more the guy buckles down 
and does good work with the stick. So it, it, you you can number 17 on the list is the highest White Sox player. And you guessed who it was. It's Lucas Giolito. But yeah. here's the really interesting thing about Lucas Giolito's scores here and why they they put him as the 17th most important player if you were going to build a team around. There's only one other pitcher on this list that has perfect scores in the categories of how he's doing presently as a player and what his future looks like. There's only one other guy, and it's Shane Bieber. Right. And Bieber's the fourth highest guy, and Giolito is the 17th. And why is that? Because, again track record yeah and you know the, the confidence thing there too gets back to uh, you know he was the worst pitcher in baseball a couple years ago before he, ethan katz got a hold of him frankly in the offseason and helped turn him around even before he was the Sox pitching coach ethan katz is the pitching coach because of what he turned lucas giolito into and Don't make no mistake about that yeah that's exactly why he's here and so when you're when you're talking about this confidence level again with Giolito you got to understand that there is a really really bad year there that what you do not have uh for Shane Bieber is that really really bad year that's exactly what it is I'm telling you he he's a stud he's a star I saw an overlay uh when I was looking you know Twitter sometimes comes up with these amazing things where somebody like overlaid Giolito throwing his his changeup and his fastball and you can't even tell that it's an overlay until well after the balls come out of his hand and is halfway to the plate when all of a sudden it starts to look like there's two Lucas Giolitos. Right. His motion was exactly, exactly the same. The ball crossed the plate in basically the exact same spot, but it was so much slower as a changeup than a fastball. This guy doesn't tip anything right now. This is the kind of stuff we may watch a season this year. We may watch a Cy Young season this year. Lucas Giolito is got to be an early favor for AL Cy Young. We could be watching a Cy Young season, an AL Rookie of the Year season with Andrew Vaughn, and is there another MVP season sitting out there with the options that you have on this team? And and like we said, this is a list that's supposed to look at this year and the future. Right. And every single one of these guys, with the exception of maybe Abreu, will drop down as he gets older. Lance Lynn will drop down a little bit as he gets older. The, the majority of these guys on this list, especially the ones that are high up, their their potential continues to get greater as their careers go on while they're measuring them. I mean, this, this could be magical. I'm having such a hard time not getting myself too excited about it, right? Like, what if they come out and they fall flat for the first few weeks of the season? And I'm banging my head off the bar here on the show every every other day. Like, I, I, I won't be able to handle it right now. They, what they've done is I they've given me the Kool-Aid. I drank the Kool-Aid. I got the big pitcher of Kool-Aid. I drank that Kool-Aid. I went in the back. I made more Kool-Aid, and I want that Kool-Aid to taste like the original version, and I just want more and more Kool-Aid. I'm, I'm so in right now. Uh, th- like, this is like when you fall for a girl, and you're like, wow, she's so pretty, and I can't believe she's going to put up with me, and I'm just so afraid I'm going to find out that, like, we're only friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think... Uh... I think there's going to be a lot of that, and and I think everybody <laughs> needs to remember that there's going to be some down points this year. You are going to um, you're going to want it, and she's going to say no, and you got to respect that, okay? Or you're going to drink a ton of Kool Aid, and eventually you're going to have to take the piss because it's just going to add up down there. Right, right, right. There's gotcha. going to be moments, but to your point, These metaphors are getting out of hand quick. They they really are. I, I completely <laughs> lost the point here. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.